you flare your nostrils? Yes. Good. Um, to our listeners at home, both of these gentlemen just came up really close to their webcams and are showing me how they can flare their nostrils. Easiest way to trick boys ever. Ask them if they can do a stupid human trick. They will immediately do it. Jabber with the Moad Weebs. We are reading our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, one chapter at a time, exposing the deepest of secrets and conspiracies along the way. Once upon a time, we were on track to finish reading the book in time for the premiere of Dennis Villeneuve's upcoming film, but then the world continued to fall aparter. Joining me on this descent into uh Overinterpretation and Madness are my co-hosts Lily Brislin and Josh Stevens. Lily, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, friends and colleagues, beloved nerds. Uh, I'm Lily Brislin, your reverend mother, your curmudgeonly crone, and a stumbler upon brilliance and banality. And let me introduce my co-host, Josh Stevens. Uh, hi, I'm Josh Stevens, the fearless troubadour, the gurney halleck of our uh, of our sitch and a former <laughs> live off group on fame. What's so funny, Lily? Uh, you still insist on saying sitch. <laughs> hey, it's much better than when he was saying ch. <laughs> True. True. Hey, that was that was the Midwestern pronunciation. Mm-hmm. I gave it a little a little accento. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're reading uh one chapter today because. We're going to be done with this book real soon. Very soon. This is chapter 45 out of, I believe, 48 by my wow. informal numbering scheme of marking down this, numbers with a ballpoint pen. This book seems to end abruptly. I agree. I, I see all the action happening. I'm flipping through the rest of the pages like, huh? how's this going to end? Yeah. This gonna... I think we're going to have a lot to say about that in a couple of weeks. So maybe we wait and... <laughs> Uh, delve into it when we get there. Uh, Lily, yeah. do you want to read us the quote this week? Because apparently I Josh would, is going to start the 30-second rundown, and then I'm going to finish it. Yeah, we're sounds like a you. terrible plan, and let's a do terrible it. terrible purpose. <laughs> and it came to pass in the third year of the Desert War that Paul Muad'Dib lay alone in the cave of birds beneath the Kiswa hangings of an inner cell. As he lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life, He's being translated beyond the boundaries of time and by the poison that gives life. Thus was the prophecy made true that the Delisa and Al-Gaib might be both dead and alive. From Collected Legends of Arrakis by the Princess Irulan. Now, before we get into the 30 second rundown, I just want to say uh, we have officially entered the era in Dune of just straight up literal preamble chapter quotes. Yeah, that was basically a summary of yeah. much of the plot of this chapter. Pretty sure from here on out, Arulin beats us to the punch and is just like, here's a three-sentence rundown of what's going to happen. I liked it better when she did that, but it wasn't what happened in this chapter. It's what happened in, like, either the last chapter or the next chapter. Right, or, like, 18 chapters later, like, with the Fenring quote, so... Right, yeah, yeah, so, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe her terrible purpose is... Um, 
to put to words everything that happens in the book, but then just mush them around randomly with each chapter. <laughs> That's a terrible, that is a terrible purpose. <laughs> yeah. If that is her purpose, it is terrible. Yeah. All right, well, Josh, why don't you try and be better than this 400th century Benny Gesserit uh, pensmith and give us a 30-second rundown? Impossible. Um, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the Benny Gesserit know-how. Um, but here's what happened. And the very first thing that happened is maybe my favorite thing that happens in the whole chapter. And that is that Chani soars high above the Erg in a thopter from the deep south <laughs> to be at the side of her Usul. Um, and all I can think about is how salty Jessica yeah, this, would be if she this knew. This is content, not rundown. You got to run. I down. know, but no, no, I need it. No, I gave, I gave you the first line. I'm giving you some, I'm giving you some content. I'll let the rundown. And I couldn't keep it in. I couldn't keep it in. Okay. okay. I, all I could hear was, was the salt. Okay. The salt of the erg. Um, okay. So Chani gets to take the thopter. Um, she has been summoned, but knows not why. Alone at last, she bounds across the rocks to the secret entrance of the cave of birds. Fear, concern, longing for her tender lover. Lily, uh, is his uh, rundown just reading us the chapter? I think so. No, think none so. of these words happened. They're, well, except for the tender lover. Oh, wow. Well, well uh, I thought they did, so I guess good on you. Uh, she's Very a bit poetic. of relief. She definitely has a bit of relief to be near him again. Um, she comes across the Fedekin lieutenant, uh, who leads her to what was once the Sayadina's alcove, but has now been plushified to accommodate her mother-in-law, the Revmo. Um, they exchange really awkward pleasantries and kibitz a bit about uh, Lido II and some cloth and Raban for a second, all while wondering how they're going to get to the point of this real conversation. Um, Chani wants to ask her, where's Paul? Uh, oh my God, is he dead? Is all she can think. She doesn't want to be like all the other women that have lost their men. And uh, Jessica's response is basically, uh, no. And then um, she's like, well, he summoned me. Where is he? And she's like, well, no, I summoned you. And I forged a signature. And um, Paul is actually nearly dead, but not dead. Uh, let's go see him. And that's where Alec jumps in with the rest of the chapter. <laughs> okay. Uh, so from there, they get to Paul. Chani's like, oh, yeah, he's not dead. But he's pretty dead. And Jessica's like, yeah, he's been in this indistinguishable from death coma for three weeks. And Chani's like, you sat on this ship for three weeks? Uh, <laughs> then they run down the various ways they have deceived the rest of the Fremen polity from knowing that their messiah uh, has been in a cadaver cooler drawer for three weeks. Um, and then, like, a lot of weird... Co- like, this, I guess, is content, too. Some shoddy coincidences occur um chani smells paul she's like he smells real spicy has jessica get some water of life they like put a drop of it to his lips that causes him to uh suddenly shoot awake he's like guys i'm so good at this can you believe how much water of life i just changed like that and they're like dude you've been in a coma for three weeks uh which takes him (laughs) briefly by surprise before uh, the deepest rumblings of his terrible purpose alert him to the fact that, uh, in an incredible temporal coincidence, the Lansrod, Emperor, Harkonnens, uh, the Guild, and Chome have all just arrived in orbit above the planet. 
he says the whatever this chapter's version of get my mom is right he's like get get me some more people i need to keep piling on to this escalation and that's where it ends Nice. I mean, it was pretty close. I mean, he, he, they didn't put the water of life up to his mouth. They put it up to his nose and mm. used it like smelling salts. But other than that, you, you were pretty spot on. Oh, I thought they touched. I mean, well, it, it, they did after he touched. after he um, wrinkled his nose and they flared. His nostrils flared. Yeah, so I think there's two real great points to get to in this chapter. The first is the one Josh already brought up, which is... The astounding literary salt of Herbert having Chani arrive in a thopter <laughs> uh, after just the previous one, having Jessica spend the better part of a page complaining about her accommodations. To be fair, who gave her the thopter? Because it wasn't Maudib. No, it was probably Jessica. Oh. And I feel like there's actually there's some like... Some sublimate. She's like, well, somebody's going to get to write in a fucking doctor. Yeah, I, I, that actually just occurred to me. I was like, oh, Jessica's going to be so salty. No, she did it. But but Frank is still being a dick to Jessica in that moment, right? In being like, <laughs> well, circumstances mean that Johnny gets to write in one, but Jessica didn't. Or is Frank showing that, like, female to female, woman to woman solidarity is stronger well, Jessica or overcome any Jessica doesn't pettiness. give a shit about the thopters. She doesn't think they're as precious as Paul does. Yeah, or has Jessica been taking daily joyrides in a thopter since Paul went into the coma? <laughs> oh, three weeks. She's just been out there? <laughs> yeah, just Soarin'? every day. Like, I'm going to go visit Siege Bing Bong. Uh, it's very important. <laughs> and then, and then skittering to a stop. Yeah, and then slamming into the dirt. Hard, uh, hard drift. You think Jessica can fly? Positive. I think she maybe doesn't often, because, like, I don't know, that's part of her Sayadina mystique, right? But she can fly. If Benny Jesuits do not receive rudimentary training in operating all of the key mechanisms of transportation, that would be woefully inadequate training. Hmm. I don't think she likes, like, right? She didn't enjoy Paul. She didn't enjoy her 15-year-old asshole son hot riding around the top of a storm but i'm sure she can fly a to b right it's like you know it's like driving a manual transmission car like you should know because you never know when you're going to be stuck somewhere and like are you going to be great at it are you going to do the like le monde no but can you get your friend home when they've drank too much and you're the one that's the dd i'm not saying that this has happened to me but that's when you get your duncan idaho no if you're a benny jesuit you don't you don't, the whole point is you don't have to depend on a Duncan Idaho. Yeah, you might have to kill Duncan Idaho to uh, right. advance the breeding plot. And you need to be able to get home. There's always another Duncan Idaho. <sighs> You're just another tool of the patriarchy. I know. I'm very aware of that. <laughs> um, I was amazed to learn how many of my friends can't change a tire. But like, anyone granted, can change changing... a tire. Like, they just don't think they can change a tire. Hmm. It's the same thing with driving stick. It's the same thing with operating an ornithopter. Someone just has to show you. I don't know. No one showed me the first time I did it. I just did it. Like donning a still suit. Desert style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh Adib. We're so glad to have you. It was cold and rainy in Chicago when I sliced my wheel open, my tire open on that pothole. 
Bowls and Pottle was like a, a manhole cover that was fully exposed. It was like, you know, six inches above the pavement. Oh, yeah, I know those. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that was fun. Chi Town? Yep. So, what ha- What about after that? I mean, do we have thoughts? Here's my next question Do we have thoughts about the arrogance of Paul just like going into the basement and drinking ammonia and being like, I'll show them without well, telling anybody? I guess I have a, a question. Didn't the previous chapter where he decided he was going to do this end with Chani get my mom, mom shows up, and then Chani leaves and has to come back? Yeah, but um, I think you're, no, because Chani get my mom happened before the gurney. Right. And I think that the way Chani leave, because I think she went, she literally went down to, I think it's Tavar where they keep the kids and everything. And just when well, that's she even further south, but yeah. Okay, when, wherever she got to where Jessica was, she stayed because that's where Leto Two and Alia are, and Jessica came oh, back north. Gotcha. It's trying to get my mom and don't come back. Yeah. Just get my mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, otherwise they okay. could have sent a bat. Okay. I also really like that as soon as Chani got out of the ornithopter, her first thoughts were not, "Ugh, I had to take an ornithopter or a worm." It was, "Man." finally rid of all of these guards around me all the time i can just walk around on the rocks alone for a few minutes i thought that was i think there's actually some really good uh right i also really like in the chapter i feel like he does a really good job evoking that like adrenaline rush that you get when you have a nebulous fear right when you're waiting for someone to tell you the specifics of the bad thing mm. that has happened Yes, that was good, but I also just kept picturing Chani in mom mode, finally being away from her kid for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> well, see, you bring this perspective to the podcast that neither me or Lily share, so. Yeah, it's true. Because it, it's probably been mom, 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 like constantly. And she finally gets out of the sitch, and then she... Is surrounded by guards, and she can't like just go like walking alone because it's mom mode. Okay, <laughs> I love this perspective, Josh. Yeah, because the only thing that I wrote in these opening pages was right as she shows up, they're like, "Oh, and giving the mate of Muadib, the mother of his firstborn, the she- thing she had requested, a moment to walk alone." Like, it's not giving Chani, this fully realized human, a moment alone. It's like, oh, it's only in her what she has, what functions she performs for Muadib. You know, I hate. Well, and you know, they also are also probably only doing it because they're like, oh, well, you know, Paul's dead in a cave. I guess we should let her have a moment alone. No, they don't know, right? Only Jessica. Uh, No, like the Feta Keen at least think he's in some sort of religious trance. The Fedaiken? How are we pronouncing this word? Oh, I don't know. I have that. I have pressures on you. Jeff. That's not one where okay. I will defend my pronunciation. I have no <laughs> fedayakin. I've always said it fedakin in my head, but it sounds like something that Dunkin' Donuts would put out for like a seasonal menu. I'm right at the end of the war of an The fedakin. You know, like the little donut holes mm-hmm. filled with spice. Um, yeah. Don't overthink it. Fedakin. There we go. Works. I'm gonna say fedakin. Sure. Um. He's still gonna overthink it. No, I'm. I'm actually still just thinking about all the awkward conversation between Chani and and uh, and Revmo. Oh, I thought. Oh, well, here's what I want to talk about. Why is Alia off by herself? Because what do you mean off by because herself? Because Jessica's asking. 
Jessica's asking Chani, does Alia send a message? So Alia's been down with Chani. Chani gets pulled, called out, and she just leaves Alia. Yeah, yeah but there's like tons of like, like communal mothers there also, to, to like watch out for the kids. Alia's a grown ass woman. Yeah, she's a grown ass two year old. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they'd fully come to terms with. That, I think that they? part of the point is they are, and they don't need. They don't feel worried that the CH is going to lynch <laughs> they her explicitly anymore, say so. right? They're like, no, they explicitly oh, you're right. Say, they explicitly the say that they're like moves the... more smoothly now that the people are beginning to accept the miracle of her status. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah, she's a, she's a, she's another revenant mother. That's an interesting bit of language. Tuck that in your hat for later. Hmm. The calling Alia a miracle. Hmm. Well, the miracle of her being a, a reverend mother, right? At sure. Her age. Just tuck it away. Just remember it. Sure. Um, um, no, I really like the about... no talk about the awkward conversations. I actually also thought that was a pretty good bit. Uh, sort of. I like the awkward conversation. Me too. Because it um, runs counter to this idea of hysterical women, and they are both like in exquisite emotional control, like being very uh, posturing and being very strategic and asking and having all sorts of internal questions, but keeping it super fucking cool. Like, on ch- like ch- Chani felt her heart hammering. Uh, yeah. And then Jessica's next thought is, this is a brave woman, my Pauls. She holds to the niceties, even when fear is almost overwhelming her. Yes, she may be the one we need now. And they even make some comments about how she would have made a great uh, Benny Gesserit. Chani does not need the approval nor the um, the sanctioning of the Imperial Bene Gesserit to justify her existence. She is her own thing that's just... Mm, but she kind of wants it from her mother-in-law. <sighs> does she? She doesn't need it, but she wants it. Technically, I think she's she a mother respect. outlaw. <laughs> I'm a mother outlaw. <laughs> have Bene Gesserit, have <laughs> That was good. My son, he's a hat. Could say hat or stag. I'm a one of a kind. This is a good, uh, a good little parody. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> it's a terrible song. Yeah, Tim think, McGraw can never be forgiven for those sins. Just admitting that you know the lyrics to that song is uh, cause to get canceled. What's funny is we all know them. Oh which yeah, is even quite well. More amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's a banger. It's a racist banger, but it's a banger. <laughs> very, very bad. Atone for your sins, Tim McGraw. <laughs> Sorry. Um, now, now, uh, we, now, I get to drag us to my thing, though. How? Ri- I mean, okay. I guess it's not out of character, but how ridiculous is it that Paul just went into the basement and OD'd without telling anybody? <laughs> it's a hundred percent on brand for Paul. I know. Well, <laughs> I think part of it is if he succeeds, then he's the Lizan Al Gaib, the right? Sadrak, right? If he fails, he was poisoned by the Harkonnens. Sure, but he still left it to everybody else in the CH to, like, come down there and find him covered in his own drool and then spend the next three weeks coming up with a plan. Well, two things. He probably thought it was going to happen immediately. Well, we know that, and that's my favorite moment of the chapter. Well, no. <laughs> I know. I don't know if he expected it. Yes, I mean, we know that. Fully no. expected it. No, we just think that when he came out of it, mm. there was no sense of the passage of time. We don't know what his expectation was I going think in. he thought it would be over immediately. I'm, I'm sure he Alex. thought that it was going to be pretty quick, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it hadn't even dawned on him, like, oh, how long have I been out? Well, right? which is not um, crazy, right, because he has seen other, he has seen women do it. And they never quick, go into a three-week coma. 
Right, sure. No, so that, so that makes sense. So that's the first thing. Um, but if he had told someone he was doing it and failed, he's kind of like killing the mystique of the whole thing. Oh, interesting. But he would want that. No. Yes, because his whole game is to defeat the jihad. At this point, except, his stated except, aim is to defuse the jihad. Mm, 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 mm. He says that sometimes, but nothing he does actually there perpetuates that. There you that go. Aim. <laughs> it's his quote terrible purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, you got me there. That is a definite. He literally always <laughs> says that, and then the next page is like doing the most Paul, possible not to. Paul has become Frank, saying one thing but meaning another. <laughs> nice. He's transcending the narrative. He's become yeah. a meta douche. <laughs> um, There's nothing more to add. You all just perfectly... <laughs> That's the chapter. Well, I do I do really love the characterization of him coming out of the coma and being like, Did you guys fucking see that? Wait, <laughs> Johnny, how did you get here? <laughs> That's true. Uh and I think he was more concerned not about how she got there, but how? Did she fucking take a thopter? <laughs> did she fucking take a thopter? No one's taking a fucking Did thopter. you take one of my goddamn thopters out of the garage? Mom, did you give her a thopter? <laughs> I told you no thopters, Mom. There's one scratch on that thopter. <laughs> if anyone saw that thopter, this shit's all... Uh, we're fucked. We're fucked. Oh, um, wow. Hmm. Put a pin in that, because it matters. Because <laughs> that's the whole point of why he wouldn't let her take a thopter. Yeah, and shit. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> See, blew it wide open again. I think I know where you're going with yeah. this. Yeah, oof. Oof. Hmm. All right. All right, man. I guess Mom, I told you not to take the fucking thopters. I'm again falling into this trap of Frank apologism. Like he thought that one through, and it played out exactly the way he told us mm-hmm. it would, but then led us to like think it hadn't. Mm-hmm. 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 Nasty, Frank. Nasty. Here's a new segment I want to introduce. It's very brief. Please. It's called Shade in the Desert, <laughs> which I imagine is hard to come by, but so. So delicious when you find it. There's a moment right. It's like when... a hattersnack. Yeah. Um, Paul wakes up. Uh, you drank the sacred water. One drop of it, Paul said. So small, one drop. How could you do such a foolish thing? She demanded. He is your son, Johnny said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a good one. That is some shade in the desert. Very nice. And actually. I think we're going to get a decent amount of shade in the desert, like, every chapter from here to the end. Oh, so. I'm so excited. That's so good. <laughs> People have officially stopped playing it. So we're at, we're not, we have not been talking about this chapter for very long. Uh, who, no, and, and there's, there's, this, there's this part here at the end that's worth discussing briefly. Where There's some stuff at the end that's worth it. Yeah, we're, we're talking about him actually converting some more water and... Um, and then doesn't he end up talking to his mom in uh, water conversion oh, mode? Oh, well, yeah, no, with they the, have... With their moats? No, they have a whole moment. He goes to the place she can't look, and he's like, look at it, mom. Look at it! Oh, I can't! Show me where it is! Uh, and she tries for a little bit, and then goes... Is this the chapter where he comes out with that, like, 
more of that gendered nonsense where he's is there is that later where yeah. he's like women can only there give isn't... men can only take i can I give that's and here. take an, that's here i'm pretty there's sure there's each of us an agent force that takes and an agent force that gives a man finds little difficulty facing the place within him where the taking force dwells but it's almost impossible for him to see the giving force without changing into something other than the man. For a woman, the situation is reversed. I mean, aside from its sort of 60s woo-woo bullshit overtones there, uh, it is kind of cool that Paul is very explicitly there being like, I am not by right? I am man and woman. He's not being like, I'm a man, you can do everything. That's true. He's like, I am stuck in the but middle. is there some weird undertones Here's what I want to suggest that I'm not. They always yes. knew it could only be a man that would look both places. Is he mm. like, I'm more than a man. I'm an ubermensch. Like, is this like a niche? Could be. I mean, but it could also be related to, right? The problem is it's hard to disentangle, right? Frank's also obviously like in love with genetics and applying like too much shit to genetics. But, right, like we know that there are, I mean, we, we know actually there are cellular parts that women only pass on, right? Yeah. And so maybe it's somehow attached to that, or maybe it is just attached to, like, weird, uh, describe it. I don't know the taxonomy of what kind of douchery that might be. <laughs> so if any of you out there are considering what your thesis project should be, I think Alex <laughs> the taxonomy is of douchery. Towards a, yeah. <laughs> towards a lesser douchery, the taxonomy <laughs> of Frank Herbert's gendered norms. And then... Uh, Something big happens after that. Okay. We got about the water of death. Right. Yes. We find out about Paul's, actually, like, the linchpin of Paul's yeah. plan to conquer the galaxy. Like, nothing else he does from this point forward works without the water of death. All right. Hmm. Walk us into it, because it, it bears explaining. So, Boop. go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, before that, I want to talk about, did you notice the line in here where they talk about the Deep South? Um, and they kind of describe it. No, I'm trying, I to, mean, fi- I remember I'm trying the... to find that description. Um, but they talk about how beautiful it is. Lots of uh, like flowering plants and yeah. stuff like that. Um, I thought that was a, a nice little reveal. They've been hinting at it for a while. Um, that the Deep South, which everyone thinks is just uninhabitable, the worst of the worst desert. Right. Um, is, in fact... is actually this oasis, right? Yeah. I thought that was a nice, uh, more explicit reveal. Yeah, so so the water of death, though, getting back to Lily's request, mm-hmm. right, is this idea that's I maybe I don't know how clearly I think the explanation here is, but the basic oh, idea is that if you gather water of life and then apply it to I think pre-spice to its pre-spice mess. So yeah. basically, you look for a spice blow and you drop some water of life on it. And it will cause a chemical chain reaction that will kill, in theory, every worm on the planet. How did I know this? I think because they probably tested it in enclosed basins, right? Where, like, if you apply the water of life to some pre-spice that a small maker has made, that it kills every... Right? Because what we know is that the native... account. Ecology of uh, Arrakis consists entirely of the species, you know, biggest dickus Arrakis, right? It's, there's uh, worms, and I think they call them little makers in this book, 
and there's yeah. spice in its two to whatever forms, right? Pre-spice and spice and spice flow. Um, it's and, a life cycle, right? Right, and, and, they, and it's the... You kill one part of it. But it's the entire biology of the planet before humans start introducing plants and bats and stuff is just this one species and its various life stages. Which is actually interesting because that's like some really... That's ahead of its time, evolutionary biology. I agree. So what I don't understand is, haven't we been led to believe that the makers and this life cycle process is what's preventing water from yes. basically being more um, perpetual, like perpetuating water all over the planet? So wouldn't doing this make it easier to terraform dune yeah but only dune without spice there's no space travel so if they destroy all the spice they're cut off from the rest of the galaxy sure okay so it says that arrakis will become true desolation without spice or maker they're saying desolation and that'll be isolated yeah because desolation to me isn't what that means right no that's true that sentence i think is wrong <laughs> okay well no, but how much of their so we've decided that everything they oh, all that's their true. energy source the best we can guess is spice gas. Their coffee is spice coffee. Their all of their plastic based products are right. Spice I'm pretty sure spice bread Ooh. comes up at some point. Like yeah, well, don't yeah don't all of the inhabitants of the planet die because they're addicted to spice? Oh, that's also true. Everyone dies. Everyone who lives yeah, on a ramus presently dies. Because if there's no yes. spice, everybody goes into spice withdrawal and dies. Yeah. So that I guess uh, that's maybe that's it. So there, yeah, there's all no... the species, native species on the planet, are now addicted to spice and they all die without it. That's true. And actually, I wonder if so. We know right that like we know that like bats can consume drugs in this universe, right? So presumably the bats right. are addicted to spice. Do you think the plants are addicted to spice? Oh yeah. So it would become true for for. A generation, right? Until somebody introduced more things, which I don't think would be possible without space travel. Yeah, the planet would just become a totally Ooh. barren rock. Spice brush, honey. That sounds good. What? Here's the closest equivalent I can think of. So the nitrogen cycle. This is I will. I swear I will not go down this ag nerd hole, but just a pinky toe in it. Like if we disrupted the nitrogen cycle on this planet, we would be in the same place Arrakis is. So it is a multi-species, multi-process cycle that goes from soil microbiota crazy things up into the air that is then fixed back down through plants into the soil and it's digested again and it's released so the nitrogen is the same as the spice cycle that's i get I it think certainly what he was looking at yeah yeah but i'm thinking about arakeen bees making honey from sp spice are. brush <laughs> i know why is boil so really nice. it doesn't sound great in that like single source what is spice spice <laughs> i don't know it's josh one of those plants and doesn't he bring up getting in touch with the spice the oh sp god josh now you have to edit this out again. About it again <laughs> dear listener frank herbert is real real occasionally racist and we have to avoid the things he says yeah, if he were around, I would be writing him strongly worded letters about this. <laughs> did you... I was just thinking about the bees touching the spice bread. Oh my god, did you, Josh. <laughs> you're, you're ending up on a list somehow for this. I just want you to know that. 
I disapprove, disendorse, and distance myself wholly from the things that Josh Stevens has said. Do you quit? I quit. I quit. (laughs) Quit. Is that the chapter? Yeah, and then they... Well, I have one more Dunedemia. I have one more thing. I have one more Dunedemia. Oh, okay. I have Dunedemia, and then you have one more thing. We have a sponsor, right? So... Mm Mm-hmm. But let Lily do her Dunedemia and my thing, and then we'll go out on the sponsor. Then then we'll go to the chump zone? All right. Okay. In another edition of Dunedemia and introducing economic theory into Dune. So Paul is saying that he's going to destroy the, the means of production of spice. But the means of production of spice are purely natural. So there's this concept in extended Marxist theory of primi- primitive accumulation, whereby through colonialism or imperialism like they've done on Dune, you just uh, encompass and enclose natural processes by which you can accumulate capital, right? You enclose land, you seize fisheries, you do these things, primitive accumulation, you bring things into capitalism that were otherwise outside of it that are parts of natural processes. And what I'm into now is primitive destruction, where Paul's like, fuck it, we'll just destroy the nitrogen cycle, we will just stop agriculture from happening Primitive destruction is the ultimate um, anti-capitalist uprising. It's terrifying. You could almost say it's the strength of the base of the pillar. (gasps) (gasps) Yes, Alec. You have graduated Dunademia, Alec. (laughs) My... My far less insightful point was just this two-parter thing where Paul says, oh, I don't see the future. I see the now. Oh. And then, and then, no, but here's what's not the worst. That's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is that on the last page of the chapter, Frank wants us to believe that Chani would say, apparently with awe, you said you see the now. Like, <laughs> why would Chani think that that was more impressive than seeing the future? I mean, it is pretty cool that Paul, like, this is actually, I also wanted to say this sort of last week. This is one of the few instances we have where Paul demonstrates clearly that he can perceive things for which he has no direct input, right? Mm -hmm. He knows that, he knows those ships are there. He knows the manifest of those ships without having been part of any, like, you know, chain of light causality physically with them. All right. Or at least not a, one interpretable to a non-Quisette Satirac brain. But also, why the fuck would Chani be like, wait, you can see the now? Um, I, Is it that she's like, oh, tone. shit, that means it's really happening right now. Like, oh, this isn't like we are waiting for it to happen. It's like, oh, it's happening right now? That's the most generous take <laughs> to that. Josh, did you have some? I'm trying to maybe put her line there in a different, like, context. I feel like she's not quite having that much awe. Well, maybe she is. I don't know. It's hard. I'm trying to think of how it was, uh, how she's saying it. Yeah, and I can't think of any other reason for those italics. If one of our listeners can, please write sure in. Andrew yeah, if that. Andrew's got, if Andrew's seeing what we're all easily missing, please let us know, Andrew. I'm sure he'll tell us. Um, but I don't, I don't got nothing there. Well, as Paul said, I'll pass lead into darkness, Alec. So maybe we're just... Well, speaking of darkness, let's hear from our sponsor this week. Let's hear from our sponsor. Uh, 
Go ahead, Boyle. Yeah, so uh, we are sponsored this week by uh, Arrakis Basin, the Great Erg's foremost chain of water of life rehab centers. Is there a young princeling in your life <laughs> whose tendency to sneak into the basement and drink ammonia has gotten out of hand? Come to Arrakis Basin. We'll help you get back in touch with the love you've lost. Serenity. <laughs> Calm. Not death. <laughs> breathing really, really slowly. But definitely still breathing, we swear. See the now. A great basin. All right, well, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, this has been a great week. Josh, do you have any more things? Uh, yeah, I got one more thing. Excellent. Uh, I'm just looking at this one line here right at the end, and he says, Go do as I commanded. What a ducal mood. Ducal mood, yeah. He is getting <laughs> dukier by the day. All right. And yet, and yet, Andrew actually had some insight this week. Ooh, he he was he was coming free. back on some stuff that we talked about last time, um, where we were kind of talking about the, kind of the differences between Paul and his father and how they think of the men mm-hmm. uh, that follow them and, and their their people. Um, and he said Paul definitely is his own man and treats his his followers and hirelings much differently. Um, I my response to that was that I think Paul's more of a pragmatist. And yeah, well, and I think it's going to come up more in the coming chapters. But I think that Paul just has a different perspective. He Paul thinks right that he's thinking about the whole universe, and his yes. dad was just thinking about a house. Well, Paul's not a people person. He's a homeschool kid. He grew up in isolation. <laughs> he don't give a shit about That's people. Yeah. We don't. He has principles, I guess. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Later, nerds.